Praise God. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Worship team, great job for leading us to the throne today. So excited about this morning. We're continuing this great series called Happily Ever After, and it's a series we began last week. But we all grow up with kind of this fairy tale idea of relationships, this fairy tale idea, you know, as we watch movies and Disney movies, and it's always the princess and the prince, and they meet and they love at first sight, and they fall in love, and there's no problems, no worries, no stress, and they get married, and they have this giant royal wedding, and it's wonderful, and it's perfect, and then they have these great kids, and there's no problems or no worries. And we kind of have this idea in our mind that that's the way it's all supposed to work, and then we grow up, and reality sets in, (laughs) and we find out that relationships are messy, and they're hard, and sometimes hearts get broken, and things are challenging, and things are difficult. And yet we all want inside of our lives, we all long for this happily ever after. And we desire that in us. And yet what we've seen as we began this series is that there is a God who created all this. There's a God who created love. There's a God who created relationships. And there's a God who wants us to succeed. There's a God who wants us to experience this happily ever after. And there's a God who's saying, trust me. Do it my way. Because I want the best for you. Last week as we began this series, we went back to the very beginning and unpacked Genesis chapter 2 as we saw God created. And God created man and he looked at man and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good, so he created a partner, a helpmate named Eve for Adam. And we talked about if you're a single adult or if you're a parent and you're raising children in this day and age and you're trying to teach them about dating and finding their right Eve or their right Adam and these things that we could do in our lives as parents or as single adults, to help facilitate finding that right person and to know that. And we said to be prayerful. We said to be patient, to be purposeful, to be pure, and to help our children learn that or to help us in our lives to wait to be married or to be remarried and waiting for God's person. And today we come and we're looking at marriage. And what does that look like for all of us in our marriage? So if you're here today and you are married, I'm really glad you're here today. As I was just praying, as I prayed and was prepared, I just thought, you know, this is a foundational message for us. If you're here today and, and you want to be married one day or you want to be remarried one day, I'm so glad you're here. And I pray as we unpack the Word of God today that God will speak to us through the power of His Holy Spirit and He will say to us, hey, you were created. You were created to experience this happily ever after. So trust me, follow me, and know that I want the best for you. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, and you got Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So right there in that area, if you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures online at Uversion. You could track along with us. You could take notes there as well. And also, we'll put the words on the screen so you can follow along with what God's Word has to say as we come to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Such a great, great passage of Scripture. Pick up here in verse 22. It says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Now for the women here, you're going, yeah, all right, you know. (laughs) Of course, that's what you were going to say. I knew it. Great, 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 great. Wives submit. But, But I want you to notice this. The Bible doesn't stop there, okay? 
The Bible keeps going, actually. So men, pick up here because verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Hello, right? Husbands, love your wives. And I don't know a woman in the world who wouldn't be willing to submit to her husband if her husband loved her the way Christ loves the church. And so I really think the onus comes back to the husbands to say, husbands, we've got a job, we've got a responsibility here to love our wives in such a way. Husbands, love your wives in this way as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband powerful passage of scripture talking about marriage and how marriage should be. But you know, this was written as a letter, right? This was a letter from the Apostle Paul written to the church in Ephesus. And it was later on that people came back and we added scripture breaks. We added, you know, little verse references. We added chapter breaks. We added headings. And I actually think that the heading is in the wrong place here. Because if you're looking in your Bible and right before verse 22, it says wives and husbands. I really think this should be divided before verse 21 because I think verse 21 is what holds this whole passage of scripture together listen to verse 21 it says submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ you see what marriage is is this mutual submission one to the other Why? Out of a reverence for Christ, out of your personal relationship with Jesus, as you are growing in your relationship with God, then you come to marriage and you submit to one another. Marriage is this beautiful relationship. It's a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship. If you're taking notes, that's kind of where we're going to pick up here. It's a covenant relationship. It is a commitment, a deep abiding commitment. Marriage is a gift from God. You know, and it's something that God wants us to enjoy It's something God wants us to experience. Maybe you're here today, you've been married for a long time, and and you kind of forgot, you forgot those feelings of when you first got married. I have some pictures of our staff team, and and I just asked everybody to send in a picture of when they got married, and and I just think it's so fun to go and to look at some of these pictures and to, to see, you know, here's Chase Baker and Courtney, our student pastor, and they got married, and and there's Sarah and Eric Humes. They just got married recently. And, and you just see the smiles and the joy in Jason and Jacqueline. And look at Steve and Laura Lee. And they're so amazing. And just to see Nick, Pastor Nick, and Susan. <laughs> We're young, huh? There's Matt, Robertson, and Shannon. They got married. There I am with my beautiful bride. She is gorgeous. Man, I love her. She's amazing. But you remember that? You remember when you got married? It's that joy and that relationship and that love. And some of you are flashing back and thinking, wow, I was so young. Or, you know, man, that's back when I had hair or, you know, whatever. You know. But, but it's just that joy. And then God wants us to experience that. God wants us to have this covenant relationship. God wants us to know what that's like. 
But so many times, man, life gets busy and life gets hard and life gets challenging. And life becomes about us. And in the busyness of life, we, we kind of forget about that other person and we move on. You see, one of the challenges, I think, is this covenant relationship of love. And when we talk about love, in the English language, love can mean all kinds of things, right? We could say, well, I love pizza and I love my wife. Really? Okay, you know. I love shopping and I love my husband, you know. And I love the Titans and I love this. And, I, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. In the Greek, there were four different words for love. Because they knew it was so powerful. They said there's four different words. The first was philo. Philo. Philo is a brotherly love. You know, it's what you would use to describe your love for your best friends. You know, and hey man, we're, we're there together, man. We have this philo love. You think about the city of Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. That's where you kind of pick up that word. There's a second word, the Greek word, was familia. Familia, and it's a family love. You know, it's the love you have for your mom and dad, the love you have for your grandparents, the love you have for your siblings. It's a familia. It's a familia love. The third word in the Greek was this, eros, E-R-O-S, eros. That's where we get our word erotic, you know, that sexual or that sensual kind of love. Now that word's never used in scripture. It's not used in scripture, but that was a Greek word that they would use. The fourth word that they use for love is this, agape, agape. And agape is this selfless, this putting the other person before you, this loving the person even if they can't do anything for you. You love them. It's a selfless kind of love. Which word do you think is used in this scripture passage? Agape, right? Agape, love, that's what God's calling us to. That's the covenant relationship of marriage, is this agape love for that other person in your relationship. I love you unconditionally. I love you. There's three things about agape love that we see in Scripture. Number one is this, is that love, love is a choice. <laughs> love is a choice. You choose to love. You choose to love God or not to love God, right? You choose to love your spouse or not love your spouse. You choose to love. You know, a lot of times we talk about love like it's something that just happens to us. It's uncontrollable. Like, I just fell in love, you know? I mean, I was walking along and I fell in a hole and bam, you know? It's just like, I'm in love, you know? No, 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 no. Attraction's uncontrollable. You get those little tingly feelings. I mean, it is, but, but love's not. Love is a choice. It's a choice that you make. It's a choice you make. I do a lot of weddings, and I love it. I, mean, I, just, I love standing at that holy moment with this couple. And, and you're standing here on this stage or in some place in a church or outside, and, and, and you watch. It's that moment as they lock eyes, and they look at one another, and they're holding hands, and they're seeing in each other's eyes. And you ask them. You say, do, do you take this person to be your wedded husband or to be your wedded wife? To have and to hold from this day forward for better for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. You're making a commitment. You're choosing to love. Moses stood with the children of Israel as they prepared to go into the promised land, and he knew. He knew when they would walk across the Jordan into the promised land that, that their minds would wander, that they would run after the gods of this world, that they would get into the things of the land. And, and so he had them all come and meet him at the mountain. And Moses said to them, 
This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Make a choice. So that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, when people come and they say, you know what, Jeff, I just don't love her anymore. No, I don't love him anymore. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's a choice you make. That's a choice. You choose to love, or you choose not to love. That's your decision. So don't say this, you know, I just don't. No. Love is a choice. second thing we see about love in Scripture is this, is that love is an action. Love is an action. It's something that we do. It's a behavior that we do. A lot of times we confuse it. We think that love is an emotion. But here's the deal. You can't control an emotion, can you? You can't control an emotion. I can't say to you, okay, everybody be sad. You're like, I can't be sad about church. I love church. You know, <laughs> I can't do that. Or if you're on a road trip, you know, if you're a parent, you're driving 10 hours with your kids and they're like, oh, they're complaining in the back seat. And you're like, just be happy. You're like, I'm trying to be happy, dad. You know, I, mean, I can't do it. You know, we've been in the car forever. Yeah, I mean, you can't control an emotion, but you can't control love. Now, love elicits emotion. It elicits the strongest emotion of human beings, but love isn't an emotion. Love is an action. It's a verb. It's something you do. It's something I do. I'll never forget when we came home from the hospital and we had our first child, Grace. And, and, and I just gained this whole new respect for my wife. As I watched Lisa give birth and go through that whole birthing process, I was just like, wow, I love you so much more. I mean, my love for her grew even deeper. And we came home and she was so tired, exhausted, and I'm like, you go ahead and go to bed, and, you know, I'll, I'll take Grace tonight. And, and so here I am in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m., right? And I'm doing this whole deal, and Grace is crying, and I'm holding her, and, and I'm just kind of rocking her back and forth, and I'm so sleepy and so tired. But I remember looking into her face. It was like the face of an angel. I'm just telling you, you know, you know that. I mean, if you're there, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You're just looking there. And I thought in my mind, I thought... This baby can do nothing for me. And I'm going to feed her a bottle. I'm going to change her poopy diaper. I'm going to take care of her. And I would give my life for her. And she can't do anything for me. You see, that's love. That's love. In fact, that's, that's the deepest kind of love is when somebody can't even pay you back and you love them anyway. Love is an action. Love is an action. It's, it's something that you do. Some of you, you, you're living in a house and, and the flame's gone out, man. I mean, just be honest. The spark's gone out. And you kind of feel like you're sharing rent, right? And you just wonder, can, can I recover that? <laughs> can I get that love back? And I want to tell you today, yes. I want to tell you with every fiber of my being, yes, you can act your way into feeling. You act your way and the feelings will follow. I promise you, there can be love. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church. It's the church in Ephesus. And, and it was a great church. But a, as the church continued to grow and mature, uh, they lost that spark. They, they lost that passion. So much so that when you come to the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to the church and he says this about them in Revelation chapter 2. As he talks to the church in Ephesus, he says, Guys, I know your deeds, that you're, 
your hard work and your perseverance. I, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. And that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If the flame's gone out, look at these three things. First of all, remember. <laughs> remember. Remember what it was like when you first fell in love with that person? Remember what it was like in the, in the joy and the smiles and the laughter? You, you remember? The second is repent. It's turning back and saying, saying, God, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I made a commitment. I'm going to love this person. I, I repent. Or even going to that person and saying, you know what? I, I'm just telling you, I mean, we need to talk. We need to talk together. But my mind has drifted. My mind's gone. And then it says, I love this. Do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. Remember when you were dating and you would write notes? You'd write love letters. Remember you were dating and you would, you would just clear your calendar to take them out for, for a night, you know? It was just special. You remember what you would do and the times you would be together? You remember that? Love is an action. Love is an action. The third thing we see is this, is love is a commitment. Love is a commitment. It's a, it's a commitment that you make, and you see that throughout Scripture. It says it's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. As these, these two become one flesh, there's, there's a commitment there. That doesn't mean that it's perfect. It doesn't mean that there's not challenges. We are sinful people. We, we fight with one another. And in marriage, there's always going to be disagreements. There's always going to be some challenges and some hardships. I've got some great friends, and whenever they start to fight, they, they always, one of them will stop and say, whoa, 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 whoa. We're on the same team, right? <laughs> we're on the same team. We're not trying to hurt each other here. We're together in this. And when you fall, just make sure you're falling forward. Make sure that you're fighting and you're going forward. Make sure that you're making progress because you made a commitment and I made a commitment. How are you growing in your marriage? How are you becoming? And in your marriage, as you continue to grow, as you continue to mature, what you do, like it says, it says submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. You put the other person before yourself. You meet the needs of the other person. There's a great book um, called His Needs, Her Needs by a, a guy, Dr. Willard Harley. He was a psychiatrist, lives in Minnesota. He, was, he studied over a 15-year period. He studied thousands and thousands of couples. And he came up with the top five needs of most men and the top five needs of most women. Now, this is a helpful thing, right? Okay, if you're, if you're married, this is really helpful. If you want to be married one day, it's really helpful or remarried. I mean, th this is important. Top five needs of most men, top five needs of most women. And he's looking at all these married couples, okay? So you ready? Top five needs of most men. Number one, what do you think? Yes, sexual fulfillment. Isn't that crazy? Guys, we're pretty simple creatures, aren't we? I mean, you know, I mean, really, bottom line. I mean... It's crazy. This is sexual fulfillment, number one, for men. That's the number one need. You know, number two, recreational companionship. Guys just like to have somebody to do something with, you know? We're not big on going to the mall, but if we have to go to the mall, we want somebody to go with us to the mall. I mean, it's just like, you know, if we're going to go eat, let's go have somebody to go eat. With. We just like that. It's the recreational companionship, somebody to kind of share life with and to do things with. Number three, number three, he found out, was an attractive spouse, you know? An attractive spouse. And number four, 
domestic support. Domestic support. And by this, he didn't mean that, you know, the man expects the woman to do all the chores and do all... No. But just some help on that side of the ball. I remember when Lisa and I got married, and uh, we were kind of, you know, we were talking about these things, and, okay, who's going to do what and do this? And Lisa was like, okay, I don't like trash. I'm like, no worries. I like trash. I'm good with trash. I'll take trash, you know? So, so we kind of divided it up because we were, no, that could be a point of tension in our marriage, and so let's just make sure we get that on the table. I'll handle the trash. So, but there's domestic support. Domestic support is a need for a man. And number five, the fifth need, the fifth need is this, admiration. Admiration. You know what? Every man in here, you know, they need somebody who believes in them. Every man in here, you know, and we put on this tough exterior, this manly, you know, I'm a man, you know, but I mean, at the end of the day, we just need somebody who believes in us. And as a wife, I mean, man, your, your big job and so many times is just to encourage your husband. And if nobody else in the world believes he can do something, you do. You believe in him. And you're there for him. Man, that is a big need for us as guys. All right, top five need of most women. Anybody want to guess? Number one, affection. Affection. And by this, he defines affection, not sex. He defines affection as this, non-sexual touching. So you come up and you give your wife a hug, you hold her hand, you put your arm around her, and it's not, you know, I'm going to take your hand so we can go upstairs. It's just, hey, <laughs> I care about you. It's just total affection. And that's a need for a woman, and the woman just needs affection. Number two is this, conversation. Conversation. Do you realize that women speak twice as many words as men in a day? Yeah. <laughs> That's a reality, all right? <laughs> so guys, when you come home and your wife says, how was your day? And you say, fine. And you go and pick up the remote control. That's not good, okay? That's not what she's looking for. Right? She's looking for a little bit of conversation. She's looking for a little bit of interaction here. Right? Conversation number two. Number three, honesty and openness. Honesty. Honesty. Uh, a wife just needs to know you're being honest with her. I mean, put the cards on the table. I mean, it, that's important in a marriage. Honesty. Honesty. And number four, financial support. Financial support doesn't mean that the husband has to be the only breadwinner by any stretch of the imagination. But what it means is you're trying, you're, you're out there, you're, you're doing things, you're that whole hunter and gatherer, and you know, you're, you're a part of that, and you're working on this together. And number five, top five needs of most women in a marriage, number five, family commitment. Family commitment. You know, your, your wife just needs to know that, that she and the family are more important than your job, or more important than your buddies. You know? That there's a commitment there. There's a family commitment. And as you look at these needs and you say, hey, in my marriage, am I doing that? Am I supporting my husband? Am I supporting my wife? Am I, am I meeting their needs? Because that's important. Submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Now, when the Apostle Paul wrote this passage of Scripture, I've got to tell you, this was radical. And it's hard for us to kind of get the context because, you know, this was first century. And, and, but, but really the dynamic was, I mean, for the Jews... For the Jews, if you go back to the law of Moses, in the law of Moses, you could just write a note and say, I divorce you, and just hand it to your wife, and it was over. 
I mean, you know, the, the wife may have burned the meal and, and they're I divorce you, and boom, it's, it's done. Now you have to pay the bride price back. But it was just so casual. And for the Greeks, the Greeks would get married and then the wife would stay at home and the Greeks would go and do whatever they wanted to with whoever they wanted to. It was just kind of a norm. The Romans would get married and divorced multiple times. I mean, they, you go back and look, 15, 20 times in their life. I mean, it was just like, yeah, it didn't matter. And so when the Apostle Paul writes this, he's going, there is a covenant relationship. There is a marriage bond that you're making, a vow of love and a vow of commitment. Now, divorce still happens today, right? The top three causes of divorce today. Top three causes of divorce. Number one is this, problems over religion. Problems over religion. All right, one person's on the page, the other person's not, you know, and, and that's why it's so important. You know, you're at church together, you're growing together, you're in a small group together, you're learning together. Number two is this, problems over money. Problems over money. Probably most every married couple here go, yeah, we've had a fight about that at some point, right? I mean, the money... Money becomes a big issue, and that's why I try to tell every married couple, hey, have joint bank account. You know, don't have his account or her account, and, you know, you know, we don't know where it's coming from, and all of a sudden the guy shows up with a new Harley, and you're like, where'd you get that? You know, I mean, we need baby formula. And, I mean, you know, you work together on these things. You talk through these things. That's why I try to encourage everybody to take financial peace. If you're married, you know, go through that course. Talk about budgeting, helping one another. Number three is this, top three causes of divorce, problems over sexual misconduct. And I tell you, you know, guys, guys are visually stimulated. And so guys, we have to watch what we watch. You have to watch the movies you have watched. You have to watch the things that go into your mind because they stay there. Women are more emotionally stimulated. And you have to watch the relationship that you have with men who aren't your husband. You have to watch those things because it can lead down a slippery slope. Now praise God for his grace and his redemption. And there's amazing people who've gone through divorce and God is, man, just blessed and they are moving and growing in their new marriage or they're moving and growing in their relationships that they have. But God is saying for you and for me, hey, put some boundaries in your marriage so that you can learn, that you can grow, that you can have a healthy marriage in your life. As we look at this, I think there's three, I think there's three revelations that I believe will revolutionize every one of our marriages. I think this is so important, so foundational. As you look at this passage of scripture, here's number one. Number one, marriage, marriage is not meant to make us happy. Marriage is meant to make us holy. Hello. Marriage is not meant to make us happy. Marriage is meant to make us holy. Look at verse 25, right? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her what? Holy. To make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, marriage a lot of times makes us happy. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's fantastic. But there's times that are hard and there's challenges. And in the midst of that, God is saying to you and to me, hey, I'm going to use marriage to make you holy. There's a great book called Sacred Marriage that talks about this whole principle. And in that, I mean, you begin to learn and begin to discern, is my life, am I becoming holy? Because God's goal for every one of us is what? To be conformed to the image of Jesus. And many times God uses the people closest to us, like sandpaper. It's like iron sharpening iron. It's for us to grow. It's for us to learn. It's for us to mature. I never knew how selfish I was until I got married. 
then I was like, wow, you know, because it was my life, I was doing it my way, my things, my stuff, and now I have responsibility. And now I have a responsibility for somebody else, too. Now I'm a dad. And I have a responsibility for multiple people in my family. Marriage is not simply to make us happy, but to make us holy. When I was growing up, one of my mentors, a guy I looked up to, was the associate pastor at our church. I was at a huge church in Texas growing up, and I was blessed to have a great church family, great preschool children, student ministry. It was wonderful. But this guy was named Dan McLinden. And, and he was married to Mildred, you know, and that great old person's name. He's like 97 now. But Mildred taught school for 40 years. She was one of those teachers. Everybody wanted to be in Mildred's class. And they saved their money, and they saved their money, and they thought when they retired that they were going to travel the world. And I remember him talking to me and saying, yeah, when we retire, we're going to go travel, and Mildred loves to travel. Well, right before they were to retire, Mildred got really sick. In fact, she became an invalid. And she spent the next 20 years of her life in bed as an invalid. And I watched as Dan just loved his wife. I watched, I watched as he took the money that they had saved to go travel and he used it for home health care so there'd be somebody with her around the clock. I would watch, we would go over as a family to their house, you know, to visit. And he would stand by her bed and he would just stroke her hair. He'd say, doesn't Mildred look beautiful today? I bought her a new dress. Doesn't she look beautiful today? And for 20 years, he loved his wife. I just thought, wow, that's love. That is a deep, rich, abiding love. Here's the second thing I think that's going to make a huge difference in all our marriages is this. Marriage takes work. Marriage takes work. I mean, just simply it does. It says in the scriptures, right, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. You know, it takes work to take care of your body, to to figure out what you're going to eat every meal, and to clothes you're going to wear, and to work out, and to try to stay in some semblance of shape, you know. I mean, it takes some time, and some effort, and some energy, but your marriage, your marriage takes work. And here's the challenge. Guys, we are so goal-oriented, aren't we? I mean, we are so good. And so it's like, okay, I got to graduate high school, you know, check. Okay, I'm going off to college or trade school, get that, check. Okay, now I got to find a wife. All right, got her, check, you know? And then career. Now I'm off to career. And you're like, you know, the wife's going, well, what about me? And you're like, I got you, check. You know, you're a check mark, and I'm off to career. She's like, I'm not a check mark, okay? <laughs> I mean, get real here. But women... The same thing is true, isn't it? You know, you grow up, you're playing with baby dolls all the time, and you're dressing babies and dressing babies, and so at some point you're like, I want kids, I can't wait to have kids, and then you go, well, who's going to help me have kids, okay? Because that's important, it's a two-way street, so you've got to look around and find somebody, you're like, you, you, and then you get married, and it's wonderful for a while, and then all of a sudden the babies come, and you're like, hey, see you later, I got my kids. And the husband's going, what happened to us? We used to have fun. We used to do things. You're like, yeah, great. Okay, I'll see you in 18 years, you know? And he's like, ah, marriage takes work. It does. It takes scheduling date nights. Lisa and I get our calendars together. We're like, put our calendars together. Okay, when are we doing date nights? We we do that because it's important. It, It takes growing together, learning together. It takes work. I remember after Lisa and I, we were married for just a little while, and and we were doing stuff all the time. 
And we looked up one day, and, and she's like, we don't ever spend time together. And I'm like, what do you mean we don't spend time together? I mean, you know, a, a few nights ago, we had this church event, and the next night, we were out with these people, and then we had all these people over last night, and then we were, she's like, no, me and you. And I'm like, yeah, we were together the whole time, you know. <laughs> Extrovert, introvert, you know. <laughs> so we went and read this book, The Five Love Languages. And I don't know if you've read that book, great book, but we started looking at that book and unpacking the book, and and we realized that her love language is quality time. I was like, okay, makes sense. And quality time means that ah, she needs time with me. I need time with her. We need to be together. And I'm like, more people to marry her. And she's like, no, 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 I need you. It, it takes work. It takes effort. I knew this guy, I met this guy, his name is Mr. Ball, and he was in his 80s. And I just watched their marriage. Man, he, had, he just doted on his wife. You know, he'd pull her chair out. He would open the door. He would do all these things. And, and I said to him, I mean, here's this guy's age. I said, you have a great marriage. He said, we've been married 60 years. He said, when I told her, I said, I do. I said, I'm going to treat you like a princess. And he said, I've done it. We've done it for 60 years. Because it's great. I just thought, I want a marriage like that. I want a marriage like that. Is it hard? Yeah. Is it challenging? Yes. But can it be happily ever? Yes. God wants the best for us. Here's number three. Number three, it's this. Is marriage is designed to share God's covenant relationship of love to the world. Wow. Marriage is designed to share God's covenant relationship of love to the world. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see, what God did is he said, your marriage, your marriage is going to be like my advertisement to everybody. And so I'm going to have all these little marriages around going, hey, this is the way Christ loves the church. And so as you look at your marriage, as I look at my marriage, does it radiate to the world the way Christ loves the church? Does it share God's covenant of love to the world to say, hey, this is important. This is amazing. This is the way God loves. Unconditional. Committed. Passionate. Joy-filled. Love. God wants you and I to have a great marriage. God wants you and I to experience the happily ever after. But I'm telling you, it takes work and it takes time and it takes effort. But the best is yet to be. The best in your life is still to be. And if you will trust, if you will follow, God says, I'm going to use you for my glory. Wherever you are in life, trust me, follow me. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in your life and in my life, you see, it doesn't come down to us trying to do behavior modification with our spouse. What it comes down to you and I is getting this relationship right here. And you and I fall more in love with Jesus. And as your spouse falls more in love with Jesus, it's like a triangle. As you're following Jesus, you know what? You're growing closer together. That God wants you and I just given everything and falling deeply, madly, passionately in love with Jesus. And then out of an overflow of what Christ is doing in our lives, that we love our spouse and our children and the people around us with the love of Christ. And so this morning, I want us, I want us to come to his table. And this is the most beautiful expression of a covenant love relationship that you and I would ever experience in our lives. There's tables that are set up. I'm going to ask some of our A6 to move kind of that direction to a table. But 
There's a gluten-free table here. There's a table in the middle. There's a table over here. There's two tables in the back. But Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he, he called his disciples together and he said, guys, come here, come here, come here. He said, guys, I want to show you how much I love you. I want you to understand love in a way that you have never experienced before. And he took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, guys, this is my body. My body broken for you, personal for you. And after supper, he took the cup. (laughs) He said, this is the cup. It's my blood. It's a new covenant. You were under the old covenant. When you sinned, when you messed up, when you blew it, you were out, right? But there is a new covenant of grace. Praise God. Even when we mess up in our relationships, there's a covenant of grace. There's a covenant of redemption. There's a covenant of love. This is poured out for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this morning, I'm going to invite you to come to the table to break off a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you. Listen to it as you break it. Listen to it. His body was broken for you. And then to dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you and receive the gift that only God can give. I want you to think about your relationship with God. I want you to think about how much God loves you with an unconditional, agape, committed, love and then I want you to come back to your seat if you're married I'd love for you just to to pray together with your spouse just take a moment pray over your marriage if if you're a single adult or you want to be married one day or remarried maybe it's just coming to God and opening your hands and saying God I want to do it your way (laughs) I pray that Father if you want me to be married again or I, I just commit to you that I'm going to do it your way and I'm going to trust you But God, I thank you for grace. I thank you for love. I thank you for redemption. So Father, here we are, your people, your disciples gathered in this place. And we come, oh God, to receive from you your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you, God, that you're for us, that you never give up on us, wherever we are in life. Thank you, God, that you want the best for us. So I pray today we would just put a stake in the ground and say, God, we love you. I pray today for every marriage represented in this room. I pray for every single adult who wants to be married one day. Father, I pray that, God, we would be men and women after your heart first. And that we would put you first in our lives. So, Lord, we praise you. And we thank you for Jesus. In whose name we pray and we come to your table. Amen. Amen. You're invited to come.